Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, farmers and ranchers are wanted to participate in a mental health project. Saskatchewan Polytechnic wants to identify exactly what is needed for a mental health support system for the agriculture sector. Michelle Pavlov is the Research Chair for Rural Health and Principal Investigator with SAS Polytech. She will explain what they're looking for and how producers can participate. Fertilizer Canada has estimated 60% of forage crops are under-fertilized. Imagine each ton of dry matter harvested from a hay field removes 35 to 50 pounds of nitrogen and about 10 pounds of phosphorus. Nutrient removal through grazing is less, but there is still a net loss of nutrients from a grazing system. And replenishing these nutrients can help to improve productivity, but it can be a tricky process. Dr. Jeff Shano is a professor and strategic chair at the University of Saskatchewan Soil Science Department. He'll talk about some strategies to get the most out of those valuable forage stands. After the break, Michelle Pavlov. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Michelle Pavlov is the research chair, rural health at Saskatchewan Polytechnic. Michelle, you're going to focus on farmers and ranchers' mental health and creating some resources for them. So first of all, tell us about this project that uh, you've got started and who was involved. So I've been plugging away on this for a few years already. Um, my family was really my inspiration to get this started. Um, my husband and son farm. I, although I live out here, I wouldn't really identify myself as a farmer, but I'm out here. Um, I have learned a lot about farmers, uh, both in mental health, about farm culture, uh, being out here for almost 20 years. Um, but I've also learned about what happens when farmers and ranchers in Saskatchewan need mental health services. So we do have fantastic supports in the province. Um, They're just not always tailored to egg producers. So I felt a really deep desire to to do something about this. Uh, So I put together an interdisciplinary research team. Uh, We've been successful in getting some research dollars to support our work. And uh, on our team, we have patients uh, or family members who are farmers or ranchers in Saskatchewan. Uh, We also have researchers who all come from either a farming background or or a rural background in Saskatchewan. And they're from uh, so many different areas, public health, nursing, medicine, social work. And and they have just really been an asset to our team. So that's kind of where things got started and who's on our team right now. Farming and ranching has been identified as a high-stress occupation. What is it specifically about this job um, that makes it so stressful? That is a really good question. Um, This occupation, for them, um, there's so much that's out of their control. In addition to having kind of the pull of the land in their soul and not being able to walk away even if they wanted to, um, their roles really depend so much on the economy and their ability physically and mentally to go outside and do their job, the weather, the environment. Um, I myself can't imagine working all year and not knowing what I'm going to get paid or if I'm even going to get paid. And uh, I told my husband, like, I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I really like the security of 
being paid every couple of weeks. And that is, that is very stressful. And not just in Saskatchewan, but globally, it's really an issue. We're looking at literature from the United Kingdom, Australia, India, United States, um, there is just global stressors related to farming and that variability uh, in the economy and with the weather just really adds to a lot of stress for this occupation. So let's talk about phase one of the project, which you are in right now, um, the interview process, and what kind of questions uh, farmers and ranchers would be asked. Uh, this is voluntary, of course, but um, what kind of questions that um, that they will be asked during this process? So what we're doing right now, it's really a flexible conversation for about 30 to 60 minutes. What we wanted to do before COVID, uh, the farmers and ranchers on our team were very adamant that we would actually be traveling out to ranches and, and farms across the province and they wanted to fix fence or fix a combine or whatever that looked like for half a day and really build that relationship with the participant because that's so important in farming culture is uh, that trust and, and knowing that people understand where you're coming from. Unfortunately, uh, with COVID, we've had to start doing these interviews on the phone but if things are, are favorable in the summer, we'll get back out there. So what we want to talk to them about is um, just about their farm, what kind of producer they are, what they like about being an egg producer, um, if there's any kind of you know stresses in their job, and if so, what are they doing in terms of resources and supports for themselves or their families during the time um, of uh, extreme stress, anxiety, depression, uh, if any of these... Um, resources or supports have been effective or not effective and if they have any suggestions for types of support so as an example maybe they want to see mental health workers who make house calls or um, we we know that sometimes sports or online supports are helpful um, first first aid uh, mental health responders and communities we don't know what that looks like yet so if they have any suggestions for us um, we're really looking to get ideas uh, we also want to talk to them about farm culture and so what it means to them um, to be a farmer and uh, and what that means when they're looking for mental health supports. Uh, producers are going to be sharing some very personal stories and experiences and sometimes that's very hard to do. Um, who's going to be conducting these interviews and how are they chosen uh, as the right people to have those conversations with farmers and ranchers? So I will be the first point of contact on the phone when people call into our study line. Um, we have myself and other members of our research team, including our farmers and ranchers, who will be conducting interviews. When I do that initial phone call, um, I'll chat with the producer about whether or not they want me to conduct the interview or another farmer, whether they want a male or a female. Um, all of our uh, interviewers have been trained in mental health first aid uh, or suicide intervention or are a registered nurse. Uh, we will be having a suicide interventionist on call for immediate support if we need. Um, although this isn't something similar to the farm stress line, we understand um, that this is a topic that can be quite triggering and upsetting, and we certainly don't want to leave people feeling unwell after chatting with us. So we have a list of resources available um, that we'll be sharing um, as part of our debrief, and there is an extensive consent process that we'll be going through uh, prior to conducting the interviews. 
Now, you are looking for uh, volunteer farmers and ranchers to uh, to speak with. What are the requirements for them to participate in this project? Uh, to participate in the study, uh, the farmers and ranchers, they have to own or lease their farm or ranch and be working on their farm or ranch at the time, um, or they could be retired. Uh, they have to be over 18 years old and live in Saskatchewan. Um, in the consent form that we're going to review prior to doing the um, interviews, it indicates that uh, participants cannot currently be receiving acute mental health services. Um, of course, you know, if they're working with their family physician um, on an outpatient basis, that's okay. But if they require immediate medical attention, um, they would be excluded from the study at this time just because we don't want to do any harm. Just explain um, about the the financial end of this. Uh, obviously, research does not come cheap. Uh, you receive some financial support and directly from from a farmer himself. So maybe tell us about that. Sure. So uh, we initially got started with funding from the Saskatchewan Centre for Patient-Oriented Research, who has given us money to support our farmers and ranchers that are on our team. Uh, we also have funding from Saskatchewan Health Research Foundation and Sask Polytech. Um, we have some industry partners who have uh, felt very passionate about this issue and have provided us with some uh, financial support. So we had a very exciting phone call uh, in December right before Christmas uh, from Will Bamford, young farmer rancher from East End. And uh, he heard about our study from a friend and um, has a connection to our research team. And so to support this initiative, his family business, uh, Red Rock Land and Cattle, auctioned off a heifer. And uh, so I, I watched the auction online. It was very, very exciting and emotional. And there was a lot of individuals and businesses who came forward to contribute to this. And the heifer sold for um, $26,800. Um, so I, I remember coming out of my office and I, my husband was in the house and I was crying and I called somebody else on our research team and she was crying and it was just so, um, we were so grateful and humbled uh, that other people really feel so strongly about this topic. And, um, and so we just want to thank everybody who donated um, thus far. Uh, we really appreciate it. And so all of the money... And it's not going into admin costs or anything. That's all been set aside. And so once we get our our support system or program uh, or intervention in the second phase of the study, that money can be used for that. And what that looks like yet, I don't know. I'm excited to hear what we might be doing. Um, and so we set that money aside for that. So, yeah, very, very exciting donation. I understand that uh, you're going to be conducting interviews uh, right into the fall, uh, part of phase one. So what is phase two of the study? So uh, phase two is going to be informed by phase one. Uh, I have some ideas in my head, but I, uh, I'm i not really sure if, if those are appropriate interventions. I suspect that there is going to be a variety of things as part of this program um, that people will require. So, you know, part of it might be a, a hotline for acute care services. Maybe another part of that will be ongoing support um, or peer support for primary prevention. 
Um, I, I'm not sure yet what will be identified in phase one, but I'm hopeful by the end of 2021 that we'll have some ideas about what producers think they need. And that's what's really unique about this is we're asking, what do you need? What can we do for you? Um, and use their ideas to inform phase two. So um, I will know more at the end of the year, hopefully. I think we've already covered how farmers and ranchers can be involved in this project. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? The phone number is one six three nine four one four farm um, they can also email me at michelle.pavlov at saskpolytech.ca um, or if they go to the Sask Polytech uh, main website, you'll see um, a, a picture of a farm and if you click on that, it has the media release and a link to our website, which is saskpolytech.ca slash farm with an H at the end. So that would be like farmer and rancher mental health. Um, and uh, the information and our recruitment posters there. Uh, additionally, if there's any industry partners, um, you know, vet clinics or maybe, um, you know, uh, any kind of egg business that would like to share our recruitment poster, please get in touch with me and I'll send that off. Our plan was to put them up at stockyards and physicians offices, but we know people aren't out and about as much as they were before COVID. So please connect with me and I'll, I'll send out a poster. And again, the number is 639-414-FARM. Well, thank you so much for your time and best of luck as you work through, uh, through the process and the interviews and, and we'll stay in touch and, and hope to learn more as uh, you move into the next phase of the study. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I also really appreciate it. Michelle Pavlov is the Research Chair, Rural Health at Saskatchewan Polytechnic. After the break, Jeff Shano will talk about the ways farmers can improve their forage stands for increased productivity. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Jeff Shano is a professor and strategic research chair at the University of Saskatchewan's Soil Science Department. Uh, Jeff, Fertilizer Canada recently stated that a large portion of forages are under-fertilized. Is that a statement that you agree with? Yeah, I think I would I would agree with that. Uh, sometimes they, they do tend to get a little bit neglected. They're perhaps on the, on the back 40. And uh, sometimes those forage stands lose productivity uh, over time. And uh, when it comes to rejuvenation, bringing them back to life, a little bit of nutrient can go a long way. So let's first of all talk about just let's talk about some basic crops like, um, you know, hay crops or any crops that are used for grazing. How much um, fertilizer or nutrients are removed from certain crops each year? Yeah, so uh, certainly when all of the above ground material is removed in a haying operation, uh, quite a bit of nutrient gets exported out of the system. Now, if you have uh, a forage stand that contains a legume like alfalfa, well, the nitrogen in that alfalfa, a very high proportion of that will have been derived from biological fixation of nitrogen from the air through the action of the rhizobia bacteria in the nodules. So uh, in the case of, of, of harvested nitrogen in a forage stand dominated by a legume, uh, 
fortunately, a lot of that nitrogen, much of it, uh, comes from the air. And, uh, and uh, it, it, it uh, through the biological fixation. However, uh, if it's a grass stand, dominated by grass, uh, the nitrogen that's removed, uh, pretty well all of that's come from the soil. And when it comes to phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur, uh, that material in, in the above-ground uh, forage that's harvested uh, contains substantial amounts of phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur that are removed in the haying operation. And if not replenished by the addition of fertilizer or manure, can certainly lead to a decline in productivity of that stance, significant decline. And then, you know, if it, if it is declining in fertility over time and the stand is, is, is losing productivity, a good way to bring it back to life is to add some fertilizer or manure. Now, when we have forage stands that are grazed, luckily when they're grazed, uh, not a lot of the nitrogen and phosphorus, for example, is actually retained in the animal. Instead, much of it is recycled through the animal and goes back into that soil through the urine and through the fecal material. So in a grazed system, we tend to have a, a significantly less net nutrient export out of the system. But nonetheless, even then, we do need to be paying attention to fertility, the management of the of the species that we have in that stand uh, to maintain productivity over time. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, sometimes those crops tend to be kind of out of sight, out of mind. They're in the back 40. Uh, they seem to be doing fine, so it's not maybe getting the attention that uh, it should. Do you think if farmers understood more how much money uh, they're losing or what could be gained by um, more uh, fertilizer, do you think they, that would prompt them to be more active in watching what the status is of those crops? Yeah, I think so. Certainly, you know, an awareness of the potential for, for response out there, particularly when you get moisture, when it rains. I know some of our work uh, showed that as little as 30 or 50 pounds of, of nitrogen on an old grass stand could uh, nearly double the biomass production. And uh, not just commercial fertilizer as well, but uh, we also did some trials a few years back at the uh, uh, in East Central Saskatchewan where uh, injection of liquid swine manure produced a uh, uh, very large increases in the uh, in the biomass and the seed yield of uh, it was in this case it was a, an old uh, Russian wild ryegrass stand an old crested wheat stand uh, as well that 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 uh, uh, certainly could be was was uh, very much brought back into life and, and substantially increased production from the application of that of that nutrient. Uh, I also think another good way is uh, you know on some of the of these areas that are, are low productivity. If, if in a cow-calf operation, uh, certainly uh, people are, are, are finding that the infield feeding is a very effective way to uh, uh, recycle nutrients as well and add uh, nutrients back into the system and uh, improve the productivity as, as some of our research work showed out at the uh, uh, Western Beef Development Centre at, at Lanigan, which is now part of the Livestock and Forage Centre of Excellence. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned some of your work because that, that was kind of my next question was to talk about any research that's going on. Now, you've mentioned some of those projects. Any other that are going on in, in the province or in all across the prairies, actually, that you're aware of that deal specifically with fertility and forages? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think certainly uh, uh, looking at uh, one project that, that that I'm involved with that's uh, uh, just wrapping up right now is looking at uh, the uh, sod seeding of non-bloat legumes like sandfoin and milk vetch and what that ha- how that influences uh, carbon and nitrogen cycling inputs of nitrogen into the system through through biological fixation and and we find that those uh, actual those uh, non-bloat uh, legumes are are effective. In, in, in adding nitrogen through fixation and, and, and really uh, don't seem to have much uh, uh, difference in effect on CNN cycling compared to, to alfalfa. So uh, it's a way to, to actually enable grazing on a, on a stand uh, that does contain a legume and, and benefit from that uh, nitrogen that's coming into the system from, from fixation. Uh, that's just one example of of, of some of the uh, of the forage uh, uh, fertility type type work that is 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 going on going on right now. So, for producers uh, that uh, have you know well established uh, forages um, on their farm, is soil testing still the best alternative to really find out what's there and and then in turn find out what what it needs for it to be. Uh, at its maximum productivity. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a good tool in the toolbox. Uh, soil testing, uh, as well as tissue testing, uh, can be very valuable in in diagnosing uh, if in fact a fertility limitation exists, and uh, also to provide a basis for a recommendation for how much uh, uh, fertilizer or, or manure that, that that would be applied in order to uh, uh, again ensure that that stand has adequate amounts of, of macro and micronutrients as well. I think the other thing that that, that we've learned. In, in doing forage fertility work over the years is just like with annual crops, it's important to have the appropriate or proper balance of nutrients uh, uh, added into the into the system so that uh, if you have a stand that's dominated by a legume, you don't need to add much, if any, nitrogen because that legume will fix nitrogen for itself and for the other crop uh, companion grass as well. Uh, however, legumes have a high requirement for phosphorus, for example, so we need to pay special attention to phosphorus fertility in, in, in a forage stand, particularly those that contain legume and may consider, you know, building up that phosphorus fertility through a, a large application, a larger application of, of phosphorus right at the start when that, when that stand is, is, is being uh, established. And, um, you know, thinking again about uh, balances, how much nutrient is being removed every year and if you're harvesting hay out of there and knowing that you're going to have to put that back into the system at some point in time to uh, maintain the fertility. And when you're taking that forage stand out of forage and maybe going into annual crop, uh, recognizing that uh, indeed, uh, you know, you may have, have depleted, for example, the sulfur or even the potassium status of that of that field. And that's where your soil testing comes in uh, to determine now I'm going to switch crops in there. I'm going to go back into an annual crop. How much fertilizer nutrient now do I need to to apply? And, 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 and taking into consideration that uh, indeed uh, that forage may have, if you've harvested hay, removed a fair bit of nutrient out of there and that's what we've observed in in some of our studies one other thing i will add though is that you know the forage forages and, and forage legumes for example crop like alfalfa are very good at recycling nutrients from depth 
So uh, having a forage on a field that maybe has a substantial reserve of nutrient down deep, or if you're looking to try to recycle some phosphorus from down deeper in the profile and bring it up to the surface, uh, those uh, those legumes can be effective in that as well. So so they're they're uh, they're uh, you know looking at that the the species that you've got in your in your stand uh, using your soil testing, your tissue testing. Um, um, keeping track of, of, of records of how much uh, uh, nutrient is being removed in, in, in the harvest based on your hay yields. Uh, if you're adding manure, how much manure is going on that field and uh, what's the content of the nutrient in the manure can really help in fertility management in a forage system, just as, as, as it does in annual crops. And is spring still a good time to, to get at that issue? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think when it comes to the uh, to the, uh, the you know the timing of uh, of application, uh, the spring application, early spring applications can be effective in in, in getting that uh, in getting that stand up and going and greening up early on. Jeff, that's all the questions I had. Anything else that you wanted to add? I guess I guess the other thing that I would say about about forages is that we've learned a lot. That, you know, in terms of in themselves. Uh, implementing a forage system, having a forage there can, can do a lot to improve the soil quality, the health, the organic matter, and, and, and the nutrient supply. And really the maximum benefit out of that perennial forage system, you get that from good fertility management. Thank you very much for your time. Great. Thank you. Jeff Shano specializes in soil fertility and is a professor at the University of Saskatchewan. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of January 18, 2021. Port of Thunder Bay reported an outstanding shipping season. Cargo volumes came to 10.2 million tonnes, which marked the first time the tonnage topped 10 million since 1997. Grain accounted for 9.2 million tonnes of the total movement through the port, up from 7.9 million the previous year. Several factors contributed to the grain surge, including significant carryover grain stock from the large 2019 harvest and worldwide stockpiling of staple foods during the pandemic. Canadian spring wheat exports well ahead of last year. Year-to-date wheat exports are up an additional 2 million metric tons, which is an increase of 29% over last year. Traders are continuing to watch the weather in South America, any new developments in Russia's export tax, and whether China will continue to buy aggressively at current high prices. Canada is setting a strong pace for oat exports so far this crop year, an excess of 1 million tonnes, not counting the United States. Mexico has been buying more oats, so has a new customer from South America. Chuck Penner with Left Field Commodity Research said Chile has been a pleasant surprise. With Australia growing a better oat crop due to improved weather and possibly some additional competition from Scandinavian countries, Penner believes a repeat performance for exports in 2021-22 will be difficult. The Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities expressed disappointment the Keystone XL pipeline project was suspended. SARM President Ray Orp says the project was expected to create over 1,000 short-term jobs during construction and generate an estimated $2.97 million in additional annual property taxes. He said the federal government was not pushing hard enough to convince U.S. President Biden of the benefits of Keystone XL.
Federal Agriculture Minister is pushing the provinces to support proposed enhancements to the agri-stability program. Saskatchewan in particular is concerned about the cost involved and is asking for another meeting of federal-provincial agriculture ministers. Federal Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said she is willing to hold another meeting to discuss agri-stability. Saskatchewan Polytechnic wants to talk to farmers and ranchers about their mental health. Researchers would be conducting 30 to 60 minute interviews with producers. Research Chair Michelle Pavlov said the goal is to gather information to help create a mental health support system. Last spring's backlog of feeder cattle has mostly moved through the system. Brian Peria with Canfax said those backlogs were created when two large beef processing plants in Alberta last April had to slow or temporarily halt production due to several hundred COVID cases among employees. He said rising feed barley costs and the higher Canadian dollar are continuing to cause feedlot losses. Dairy producers were told they would be receiving a letter with directions on how to access the second payment under the Dairy Direct Payment Program. Dairy farmers will receive, on the basis of their milk quota, cash payments of $469 million in 2021-22. Producers must register for the program through the Canadian Dairy Commission prior to March 31st. And a British Columbia company that feeds food waste to insects to produce animal food has received $6 million from the federal government for a new plant north of Calgary. Enterra Feed Corporation opened the plant last year. It's been producing insect-based feed ingredients out of the Rocky View plant for the pet food, poultry and wild bird markets in North America and Europe. Black soldier flies are used to recycle food waste and turn it into high-protein feed along with organic fertilizer. Company president Keith Driver said this is one way to take otherwise wasted food and make it useful. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.